0: It's an exciting time of the year for WWE Money in the Bank, a week from Sunday from Stanford, Connecticut, at WWE headquarters. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go My Bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try Parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My Bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around, and if you join right now, My Bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid. My bookie. <laughs> 10 years, 300 million. What do you think about that? Is it a smart move for the Padres to make a deal like this, largest in American sports history? And do you think Machado will stay disciplined for the next, at least five years before he can opt out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, all we kept hearing about this about Machado and probably Harper, too, was just that, you know, they were going to go wherever the money was. Um, And I'm certainly not privy to all the different offers that were on the table, but. yeah, you know, obviously, unless you're Bryce Harper in Washington turning down $300 million over 10 years, um, it's, it's hard to walk away from that. But, you know, I think that it kind of fits a need. Um, for for the Padres and kind of where they are in terms of, like, you know, big league-ready personnel. Obviously, they've got a great farm system. So now is kind of the time to strike while the iron's hot, you know. I mean, I know that they tried to build it up um, a couple of years ago uh, and then ended up kind of breaking it down shortly thereafter. But, you know, you build up the farm system, and it seems like they've got some – some really good impact players there, uh, position players, pitchers, and stuff like that, but there aren't many Manny Machados out there that kind of grow on trees. You know, the, the position that they are looking for and uh, obviously his his impact and just in terms of a uh, uh, I don't know if it's business aspect or fan base or whatever you want to call it, but you know, the, the, there's no other major pro sports in San Diego, so they kind of have to own that market, and you know, I think it was kind of smart uh, to go out and get you know, Eric Hosmer last year and, and kind of be that first cornerstone piece and now get Manny Machado and be, be the second.
0: Yeah, and of course, I feel like good for him. He gets his deal, gets his 10 years, gets his 300 million. He's in probably what you can consider the nicest part of the entire country. Good for him there. Uh, with- this Machado deal. Now that Bryce Harper's kind of the headliner in free agency right now, you still got Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell available. But do you see Bryce Harper getting the same type of money? And with whom do you think he'd sign?
1: I don't think he would sign for a dime less than three hundred million. <laughs> right. Just kind of knowing uh, that this this off was the one that was circled uh um, you know shortly after he uh he, he made his big league debut knowing when he'd be uh when he'd be a free agent be able to test the market and you know he, a, a guy of his star power both in terms of just kind of persona but also skill level um I heard yesterday something that he's you know seventy eighth in a war or whatever last year. I mean whatever he's still he's still an impact player that I'm sure thirty teams uh, would sign up for uh certainly not at the money the RLC'd have a team by now but you know thirty teams would want a guy like that. There's no question about it. Um, Yeah, so I I don't know where it would be, uh, but knowing his agent, Scott Boris, who always seems to prove us all wrong. You know, like everybody says, oh, there's no way he's going to get a guy to do this or that or whatever. And then we sit there, oh, there's a mystery team. And oh, here we go again. He's drumming up some sort of interest is just trying to drive up the price. And then, you know, at the end of the day, he. (laughs) He usually gets uh he usually gets his client the money the years whatever he wants um you know so i wouldn't be surprised i don't know exactly where i mean you know i've heard people kind of obviously throw philadelphia out there you know for me if, it, if philadelphia was willing to do both at one point in time uh, met machado and harper then you knew that both of those guys were let's just say 250 a piece that you know that they were they were Willing to go out on a limb and, and invest five hundred million dollars in two players. So if three hundred twenty-five million is the number, and they were willing to spend five hundred, like you know, I know it's a much more complex math than that. But you know, why hasn't it got done yet? Is is Philadelphia the highest offer? But he, but Harper doesn't want to go there. Wow. And, you know, is it is it still maybe still the Padres? I heard that they were still maybe thinking about making some room for him. You know, I, who knows? I, honestly, I, I don't know. I wish I had an answer. And you know, camps have opened up. I'm sure wherever he's going to end up, they'll welcome him with open arms, but uh, would would have loved to have this done uh, weeks ago so they can open up camp and and not have... It's still early enough if he signs the next week or so that it's not really, you know, a distraction necessarily, though. We've got to have a press conference at 11 a.m. before a 1 o'clock game. It's that big of a deal, but, you know, I'm sure that they would have loved to kind of start camp and break camp with with the player, but that's not to say that they would turn him away because we're a week or
0: so into camp. And you mentioned San Diego still might be in on him. Like, a guy like Harper, you just signed Machado to a $300 million deal. Do they even dare to even offer and dangle that money in front of Harper and Boris? Again, you have two guys now with three hundred million dollar deals under your belt, you know I've never had. Between you and I, I've never had six hundred million dollars in the bank to. Know I believe you. Likely. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, uh, to, spend, to spend that and hand out to two players, I don't know what their financials are. Um, you know, in terms of all the the inner workings of it. Um, Obviously, I know that Hosmer's owed uh, a a nice chunk of change over the next, whatever it is, six, seven years, and and Will Myers has some money left on his deal, and, of course, they've got the Machado money now on the books. You know, I don't know what, again, we've seen the Nationals get creative when it turns out uh, that, you know, they're deferring money, and, you know, I'm sure if they they wanted to make it happen, if they could make it happen, it, it would be nice. I mean, again, I can't pretend to get inside Bryce Harper's head, but... From Las Vegas, so San Diego is not that far from home. Obviously, they spring train in Peoria, so it's again not that far from home. As opposed to a, you know, Grapefruit League team, whether that makes a difference or not, I have no idea. Is uh,
0: something where players sign earlier like there's a certain deadline or do you think this is just going to keep getting worse and worse from a free agency standpoint i think that it's just a matter of
1: worth $450,000 and the year after that it might be worth $200,000. You know, who knows? Like, it just it, the markets fluctuate. Obviously, the way the teams now go into uh, you know, evaluating players in terms of what, what their values are in the open market for a free agent deal or whatever, that's changed. You know, it's not it's not like, okay, we're going to look at your batting average home runs and RBIs and, uh, and you know, your highlight reel and say, oh, we've got to have this player and here's a blank check. It's not that way anymore, and it seems as though the, you know, some of the players uh, feel like, well, hey, you know, I was there's no reason why it shouldn't be that way, but you know, I I don't think that any ownership group or, or whatever it is 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 doing wrong. I just think that they're being smart. I think that they they have probably seen the writing on the wall the last decade or two, and seen that you know the debt money that's on the books is not you know, fun money. You know, I mean, uh, every team's got some, some form or fashion of it. Some teams have more than others of that, you know, dead money or, you know, making a trade to free themselves up of some money and all that kind of stuff. I, I just think that, you know, you don't become billionaire owners by not being smart with your dollar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just think that the evaluation process has changed and therefore it's changed the, the market uh, quite a bit, obviously, in terms of, you know, how long it takes, but then again, I mean, some guy, as you mentioned, it, just signed the, the largest free agent contract in history, so, you know, how bad is it? Why? Because, you know, we who sit here and chase the stories and have to cover the sport are are complaining that it took so long to get some actual news. You know, at the end of the day, by opening day, Manny Machado's gonna have his money, and the team's gonna have a player that they want, and, you know, it's a small market team, it's a team in a division that they haven't won for a while. It, there, There's almost no... Losing in the situation, if you think about it that way. You know, I mean, if it were, if he signed the same years, 10 million, uh, 10 years, $300 million with the Yankees, everybody would be complaining, well, here we go, the rich get richer again. All right, well, now what? The, the Padres, who don't often spend too much money, now they're, you know, going after a division, and uh, now they're trying to load up their roster with big-ticket free agents. I mean, who, who loses in the situation? The players are, don't get can't get P.O.'d because, you know, uh, a big-time player took less money and kind of messed with the the median income, if that's what you want to call it. So uh, I just think that uh, with this situation uh, as of right now, I mean, who knows how it all pans out five or ten years from now, but I just think that with, with what how it shook out
0: that uh, that there are no losers. Right, and you mentioned teams are getting smarter about how they spend their money. They're just not throwing money around like they used to. Yankees spending all that money on guy like Jacoby Ellsbury who hasn't panned out at all. Uh, do you think a few years down the road, given how this is laid out in the past two years, more bigger names on free agency looking to get their money as they rightfully should with guys like Scott Forrest as their agent do you think one day, because it hasn't happened in a long time, do you think one day we could see another strike in the MLB? Well I mean the way that the players are
1: talking now, yeah um, I, I certainly hope not but again I mean you, you look at it and it's certainly possible with kind of the uh, the disconnect that there is right now whether it's P- pace of play the way that free agent contracts or you know how long it's taken to get these guys signed I'm sure you could I certainly hope not I mean it's been the longest era of labor peace in any of the four major sports and i certainly love to keep it that way because um you know, if, if there's no games, Big Daddy doesn't work. Right. So obviously, I'm I'm hoping that there isn't one. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully there's enough time between now and when the CBA expires that uh, that they can continue this you know, labor piece, And you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, you know nothing cuts into any sort of regular season the way that it did in '94 and '95. But you uh, never say never, because um, that's just how it goes. And maybe it's maybe there are arguments uh, on both sides that are far enough in advance of the expiration of the CBA that they could say, listen, you know, kind of cooler heads will prevail instead of it being a, an 11th hour thing. Well, we're we're mad about X, Y and Z. And there's no chance that we're going to figure this out. Now we're going on strike. You know, hopefully there's enough time to kind of hammer this stuff out, get on the same page. Uh, and and not be too disconnected when the cba expires
0: yeah it's going to be very interesting to see a lot of things heating up pitchers and catchers last week teams are in spring training now i'll talk a little bit about you right now so talk to me a little bit about your experience growing up in broadcasting was it always your goal to be a broadcaster just from current broadcaster to aspiring broadcaster here for sure you
1: know i was you know six or seven years old and uh my my mom's best friend was a few years older than me and, and certainly not as naive as i was and, you know, i always loved sports growing up and it never really occurred to me until we were talking one day me and this me and my my buddy that the the voices that you hear when you're watching a sporting event were like actual human beings who studied for, for that job and, and hired for that job. And I was like, wait a second, like that's that's the thing that you can do for a living? And I never really uh, strayed from that, you know, I mean, all the way into... When I was six or seven, and, and announcing my video games and, and just crazy stuff like that, to, you know, in, in high school doing the morning announcements on the TV, and, in high school and the college with the internships and, and the TV station in college, you know, always kind of hoping that uh, that one day I would, uh, you know, get a big league job and be a be a big league broadcaster uh, was always the goal. Um, you know, I, I was a Yankee fan growing up, so it was always my. People say, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I'd say the voice of the Yankees. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I whiffed on that for now, but I'll take the consolation prize of uh, Derek Jeter being the CEO, Don Mattingly being the manager, and uh, and they just hired Jorge Posada earlier this week. Right. So I, I, think, uh, I think I'll take it. But, no, I mean, this is, uh, for me right now, this is an amazing... Um, opportunity and, and the people that i work with uh, on camera behind the scenes with the team it's i honestly couldn't ask for a for a, a better situation it's the
0: reality uh, of it kind of surpasses what what the dream was back in the day, and that's, uh, that doesn't happen very often. For sure. And what kind of uh, internships did you have growing up?
1: Uh, well, I went to Endicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts, a little north of Boston. <clears throat> and it's a school that uh, uh, is, is known for one of, if not the best internship programs in the country. And a um, small school, I think now there's only 25, 2,700 kids. when I graduated there were 1800 or 2,000 kids that went there. Um, so again, a small school. but um, you know they I'm kind of a hands-on learner more than a classroom learner. Oh yeah, um, that. So they they made us do it was it was built into the schedule. Um, I always went back to school uh, January break a little later than some of my friends because they extended the January break uh, so that freshmen in their, their January break could do an internship. So freshmen, sophomores did uh, the, the January internships. And then when you were a senior, you did a semester internship. So I had the three that were kind of built into the schedule. And then I was able to uh, finagle uh, another internship in between freshman and sophomore year in the summer. Uh, able to work that out as an, as an independent study. So I did four when I was in school, um, and they were NBC affiliate, uh, the January same NBC affiliate in the summer, uh, ABC affiliate in Bolton, Connecticut, um, my sophomore January, uh, worked at the TV station in college my junior year, and then um, Fox Sports New England is what it was at the time um, for the semester internship uh, my senior year. To work with a lot of great people, and that, that kind of helped to nurture the, my passion for the for this business and and, and, and foster that. Um, so I, I did those four internships, and then when I graduated college on May fifteenth, May seventeenth, I started another internship, which was not affiliated with the school, but um, was an internship nonetheless with the uh independent state of Connecticut, uh, the New Haven County Cutters, which no longer exists. Um, I'm pretty sure I ran them out of town, but, <laughs> um, but so that was my fifth and I, I did radio uh, internet at the time, broadcasts uh, I was a good color analyst uh, for that summer, so that was up until, um, I think, like mid-September because they made it to the playoffs, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to get my first job at ESPN a, uh, a, about a month later.
0: And you just mentioned how you were a color analyst at one point. Do you, do you obviously do you uh, enjoy play-by-play a lot better than color? Because at times they could be two totally different things. Oh, for sure. You know, I think that that was... Um, You know, it's independent baseball, it was internet broadcasts. I think
1: that the I think the audience was really just uh you know, my parents, the play-by-play parents, and then maybe, like, half the team's parents. Like, it, yeah. it, it, it wasn't exactly, uh, it wasn't, didn't rival the Super Bowl when it came to ratings, for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I have a, a very healthy respect for trying to never really cross over the, that analyst line. Um, you know, I, I think that certainly, you know, let's say you're doing a radio show, for example, and you're by yourself, like, it's one thing to kind of analyze the, a, a game, a sport, whatever. But um, for me, I've you know I've always been on the dead Seven years at MLB Network, I was always on a desk next to an analyst. So whether I love the sport, which I do, uh, I you know certainly think that I, I know the sport. But I, there's no way that I know as much as the guy I'm sitting next to at any given time. So you know I I, I like to think that I ask um, you know good questions. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's that's propelled me in my career kind of having that natural curiosity but also having that that um, that humility to know that I don't know everything and that the guy next to me probably knows more and that you know I, I am an extension of kind of both sides i'm an extension of the analyst uh, in a way i'm an extension of the audience so kind of playing that middle ground and you know hopefully asking enough questions that um that engage the analyst but also you know might be something that somebody at home watching on tv is like hey why don't you ask about oh yeah no exactly that yes that's what <laughs> i was thinking right you know i kind of have kind of have that um but yeah i mean it, and, and certainly now in the, in the booth every night you know i i did it's difficult sometimes to, to kind of hold back, but at the same time, I think I've trained myself enough that, uh, again, I, I think I know the game and certainly see it from a different perspective. I mean, even the, the most hardcore baseball fan is is not watching it as much as I am. And, and I'm fortunate that we have, you know, a strong fan base that'll watch, obviously. But, you know, I, when I say that, I mean, you know, we get a chance to talk with the manager every day. Um, you know, we're, we're talking with the players every day, and then we're watching nine innings of baseball. Um, so, you know, we see a lot of baseball. And um, But that to me, that does doesn't mean that I know everything about it. So I I, I never wanna, you know, kind of be that be that analyst when I've got somebody sitting next to me. But um, play by play was always the it was always the dream for me, and, uh, and you know, fortunate to have to have achieved it, lived it out, and hopefully I can for a long
0: time. And, of course, I'm assuming that given your play-by-play for the Marlins, field access, you talk to the guys every day, like you said, the players and coaches. Obviously, in college, that's a lot more difficult. You have to, like, go through, like, SIDs. Uh, at times they feel like you're kind of like a burden when you're talking to them like as a student i understand that but like right. it's, it's an overall easier process doing that in the pros right And you're, you could be friendly and you're friends with some of the guys it can be
1: sure i mean i think it's it it also varies in terms of you know what you're doing if you're more of a if if you're doing like a national kind of game then you're popping in and, and you're maybe dropping in the day before and and chatting it up and you have to kind of you'll have more of a, a schedule maybe a producer or somebody will make schedule through the team when we can talk to the manager the hitting coach pitching coach tomorrow's starting pitcher um but when you're with a team it's you know i mean we we travel with the team we're on the same plane um uh, so we're around them a lot more, so it happens a little bit more organically. Um, you know, they, they, they see it, and, and for me, that's that's a, that's a very important thing is to, even if I'm, and it happens, honestly, I'm not talking to guys more than I am talking to guys. But every day, uh, I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm listening to what the manager says when he meets with the media. I'm hanging out by the cage and either I'm, I'm, I'm listening to try to kind of get a gauge as okay, when he's chit-chatting with the pitcher with the hitting coach, you know, what might he be working on? Okay, let's try to keep an eye on something that, that maybe he's working on today or, or whatever. And, you know, I'll certainly interact with the players, but, you know, you can only talk with the same guy uh, about the same stuff so much. So, you know, when things come up, they're very accessible, and, you know, unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm guessing it, it will at some point. Um, just because, again, there, there's, there's so much time for it to happen. But, you know, uh, again, I, I hope to never cross any line. But, you know, I, I've heard from other people, you know, always be accessible to the players because they're not watching your broadcast, but they might have a family member, a cousin who's watched the broadcast and, who you knows, maybe misinterprets something that you said a certain way and, and they want to talk to you about it. So I think that that's a responsibility to the players. Just as you have many responsibilities to to the audience, you have a responsibility to the players. You're covering them every day to be fair to them. I think you know and um, you know certainly last year was not a was not a great year in terms of wins and losses. But you know we never sat there. You know somebody makes an error, somebody strikes out. And we're not sitting up there laughing. This guy stinks. This guy shouldn't be. You know that, that, that to me they're they're doing they're doing something that you know in my wildest dreams I could never imagine doing. And I think you have to have uh, a certain level of respect for. Nothing ever gets misinterpreted. I think that you have to have a you have to have a, uh, a a knowledge that you know. I'll I'll be here. You know, if I said something that was kind of out of school, let me know about it. I'll 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 give my side of the story or whatever. You know, but but I, I've been blessed uh, through one year that to not to not screw anything up to too. too On to try to get out of this little funk, you know, what would, would you have a relationship with the guy to say, you know, okay, hey, you know, keep working, keep working, and, um, and, and, you know, and they know that you're not going to go on the air and, and bash them, and, you know, because that, that doesn't really serve any sort of purpose. I mean, I, I know that there are some, you know, people that want a truly honest broadcast, and I get it, but. You know, I, I'm, I'm not in the position right now where I'm going to sit there and, and give my two cents. I mean, these guys are, I, I think partly because I've, I've been around baseball in such a direct way with my seven years at the network and now one year with the team, with the Marlins, um, that I know what goes into being a big leaguer, never mind a, a good or a great big leaguer, but just to be there. Um, and I think that you have to have that kind of respect, and when you do have a respect for what for what you do and that makes the relationship better and then you can talk to them about some you know personal story that may add to the broadcast so it all kind of all kind of works in a, in a circular pattern i
0: guess yeah for sure uh and you just mentioned seven years at mlb network is it an overall different dynamic broadcasting for an actual like an organization as opposed to broadcasting for the network uh for sure you know i mean again because you're 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 trench with the team, you're with the team, um, you you certainly see it at a much different depth
1: when you're with a with one team uh, every day. I mean, again, I've been fortunate through my career. I was started ESPN, so I kind of saw all sports and needed to know a lot about a lot. And then I went to MLB Network and needed to know even more about one thing in baseball. And now I've, I've focused it even more to basically have to know everything about one team. So yeah, in that sense, it's it's much more um, it's much more in depth. I, you know, I, I used to say that MLB Network did more than just read the headline. We got into the entire article. So I, I got to come up with something. Maybe maybe we're the novel. The Marvel yeah. doing doing the games is the novel
0: as opposed to just the article about something. But you know, that's that's kind of how I how I see the uh, the dynamic change. But um, yeah, I mean. It, Love my time at the network, too, but this was always the uh, always the ultimate goal. Yeah, well, what would you consider uh, a more crazier schedule? There at the network, obviously here with the Marlins during the regular season, it's got to be nuts. What's your schedule like right now? Just like in spring training, obviously you're off today, like on-field promos, you had broadcast interviews. Is it as crazy as the regular season, or is spring training kind of more laid back for you guys? Uh, for me personally, it, just in terms of, like, actual responsibilities, in terms of, like, needing to be here, there, or wherever at a certain time, it's uh, it's it's not
1: so bad, only because we're doing uh, we. – I'm only broadcasting two spring training games. Um, but, you know, hopefully in the coming years we'll be broadcasting more because there'll be more of a – more of a hunger and more of a thirst for uh, for for Marlins spring training games. Uh, other broadcasters uh, will do ten or fifteen games, so it all kind of varies based on the team and the market. But you know, one one huge blessing is the fact that uh, you know the Marlins. I think outside of the outside of the Diamondbacks, which you know they their spring trainings in Scottsdale and their ballpark is in Phoenix, so which is about you know twenty minutes, a half hour away. I mean from miami and i live a little north of miami but from miami to jupiter is about an hour and 20 you know so like i'm at 45 minutes or an hour up the road uh, down the road from uh, from jupiter so you know i, I kind of popped into camp yesterday i'll you know probably go there once or twice a week um outside of any other you know meetings that are scheduled just kind of on my own but uh, in terms of actual responsibilities, it's that, but then it's, you know, get, getting some notes together and reading as many articles as you can to get some background and, and make sure that you have, you know, little little tidbits that uh, that can fill in the voids of, you know, the, the early part of the season is probably the toughest just because there's not a lot to kind of fall back on in that first week or two where it's like, oh, hey, you know, he's been hot for three weeks. It's like, no, he's had four at-bats, so you know nothing is, you take everything
0: with a grain of salt, so you need a little bit of you know, background information and stuff like that. So just to be able to get there and chit-chat with some guys and kind of start to lay the groundwork, um, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Okay, so seven years at M about that experience, MLB Network, a couple of appearances on Intentional Talk with Kevin Millar, uh, just an overall like experience with those guys, because that seems like one of the best jobs in the world, just watching it on TV. It, it absolutely
1: uh, was um, for me, and, and the, the people there on, on camera, behind the scenes, um, our bosses, uh, tremendous, tremendous people. Um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to have been there. Um, I'm thankful that they were flexible enough to allow me to pursue this Marlins job but yeah I mean it was it was great I mean it was uh I, first or second day that I was there I was still kind of shadowing to see how everything went and I like I had a, a, maybe like a month off in between ESPN and uh and MLB Network and it was December so there was really wasn't much going on I'm trying to out at home and brushing up on all my baseball stuff I'm like oh I'm good I'm ready to roll here we go and I sit in my second meeting or whatever it was and Peter Gammons comes in and sits down and then John Heyman comes in and sits down and these guys are just talking about stuff and I'm just like, holy crap, Like, I feel like I've been in a coma for the last 12 years, like I don't know what the heck you're talking about so, you know, you you always get challenged and, you know, certainly got up to speed <laughs> as the time went on, but, you know, you're, you're always challenged by, uh, by anybody that's there and, and they do a great job of, of hiring and filling every kind of checking every different box whether it's pitchers or position players catchers first basemen you know dh's managers gms i mean the the personnel that they've got there is just terrific and you know every night every night um you know, they, you're, you're on the air, you're learning something, um, from and I think that that's kind of how you have to be, and, uh, and again, if you're learning something and you're the host, that must mean that you might be asking a good question or two, so, you know, I think that it all kind of played out, like I said, once you kind of know that, uh, at least this is my feeling, once you kind of know that you don't know everything, you'll want to know more and you'll know that these guys certainly have, have seen it all and lived it all and uh, and that their experience and their expertise is, is what drives the network and, you know, just... You know, I was. I, I heard once that a great a great interviewer is never noticed. Like you don't notice them asking the questions because you just remember the great answers. And I, I think that to me, a, a good host is the same way. If you just kind of ask a ask a quick insightful question, get out of the way, and let the answer and then the story kind of go, that uh, it will lead to good good compelling television. And you are just kind of a, a, a part of it, even if you didn't do a lot of the necessarily heavily heavy lifting, and you're not sitting there. Telling the stories for 20 minutes, but
0: you're the one that asked the question that led to the great 20-minute story. You know, and you, you've done a good job. I mean, I can attest to that right now. I mean, <laughs> but uh, who would you consider is your uh, greatest? Men- who was your greatest mentor on that uh, program? Oh man, I mean, I've
1: had I, I've had a lot of terrific uh, people that have helped me along the way. I mean, I, I, I would hate to just limit it to MLB Network people. I mean, I think that it. For me, like I said, uh, I knew what I wanted to do from a young age, but my first internship, if let's just say I had people that were mean, and, oh, here we go, we got to have another crummy intern come through, all right, here's how I like my coffee, uh, cream yeah. and two sugars, and uh, stay out of my way. I've got to write tonight's show, so don't come back here till 10 o'clock, and, you know, stay off your phone, and be quiet, don't talk to me, don't look me in the eye. If I had something like that, uh, who knows what I'd be doing. You know, um, but I didn't. I had uh, Kevin Nathan, uh, was a tr- tremendous teacher and, and fortunately has turned into a great friend uh, over the years and um, it, working at uh, the NBC affiliate in Connecticut. Um, Fred Nutter was the guy who was the producer um, at NBC in Connecticut at the time. And uh, again, a tremendous, tremendous teacher told me all the time, you know, tell a great story. And he'd always, you know, offer me up, you know, great movies to watch or great interviews to watch or whatever it is. Um, And he always told me fight through the block. He used to play football at UConn. He always you know, I tell him, I I can't find this or I can't. He's like, hey, fight through the block. And it's just a way of saying, like, hey, figure it out. There's a way to do it. You're smart enough. You can handle it. If you want to work in this business, you got to figure it out. And, you know, I I, I never, obviously never forgot that. Um, you know, there are many more people at NBC when I was at uh the ABC affiliate John Pearson another guy um who at the time was a tremendous uh teacher now again still a friend that I keep in touch with um you know the the people at, at Comcast New England were all terrific in fact when I was you know debating whether or not to leave ESPN one of the places that I auditioned to work was actually Comcast New England so they they liked me enough that five years later they said hey you know it's Instead of being an intern, why don't you see if you can audition here? Um, I, I, I auditioned there; I think it went well, but um, I, I don't know if I ever got a formal offer from them. But that was only because the following week I uh, interviewed at MLB Network, and uh, you know the, the opportunity there was just. for me in my office and, and just to introduce himself and uh, you know I mean this guy is tremendous and had, had big jobs um, and for him to like come look at me and then not only just to say hi but say "Oh, I've seen so many of your highlights on ESPN.com the they kind of like engage with me like that and you know obviously want to be a, an aspiring uh play-by-play announcer, I mean, the, the amount of times that I nagged him in his office about different things and, you know, how do you, you, know, how do you keep score, how do you prep, what questions do you ask, all kinds of stuff, um, you know, he was always gracious with his time and, um, you know, he, he was he was so excited for me when I got the Marlins job because he knew how, how much I wanted to, to get one of these jobs and, um, you know, he was thrilled for me and, and walked me through a bunch of different things leading up to it in the interview process, and, and then afterwards when I had gotten the job and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a long list of people that have uh, that have helped me along the way.
0: You just mentioned it. Tell me that story of getting that call and the opportunity to be the play-by-play broadcaster for the Marlins.
1: Well, I, since I just brought up Maddie, there's a, an interesting story there. So I think I was the first um, of, I don't know exactly how many people, and five, maybe there were ten, I don't know, like finalists that... You know, Fox Sports Florida flew, flew, flew to the station and, and, and did the audition process and anything else uh, before they made their final decision, and I was the first one to go. And it was early January, so three weeks or so had gone by, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and, you know, I don't have an agent, so I, like, didn't necessarily have every little bit of inside information as to how everything was going, so I didn't want to, you know, bag the bosses down there and see what was going on, so it was kind of a weird situation but it was a friday night and uh, and maddie called me and he said hey hey did you hear anything and i said no i haven't heard anything he goes really you sure i said yeah i haven't heard anything what have you heard he goes oh well, I, I haven't heard anything i just heard that they made their decision and they, they know who they're going with and he's like i was hoping that you had found out by now and i said no i haven't heard anything he's like all right well listen just, you know, stay focused and, and maybe maybe something will happen on Monday. So, I, you know, I actually had gotten a phone call uh, on Monday morning from somebody else in the industry who I had been kind of talking to and, and getting some insight from just in terms of, you know, everything at the job and kind of coaching me through the anxiety of the waiting Game and everything else, and this person called me in the morning and said, "Hey, I don't know if you have heard anything yet." And I said, "No, I haven't." And he said, "I actually heard that they're going with somebody else." And I said, "Oh, all right." So, um, and and I was so I was you know kind of disappointed. Obviously, I wanted to, this job pretty bad, this opportunity pretty bad, and I, I was there with my wife, and she kind of saw my shoulders shrug at the time, and she you know her shoulders shrugged, and I you know I talked to him for a few minutes and got off the phone, and you know both of us were. Kind So I just got a call from Buddy. I said, "I don't know for sure, but he he seems to think that they're going with somebody else." And she starts crying. And everything else, it's going to be all right. Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, you know, I had to kind of clean myself up quick because I had to go in the MLB Network that day I had to shift uh, work an intentional talk. You know, it's a funny, lighthearted show. I got to be upbeat. I got this whole thing. So um, I get an email from uh, one of the bosses of Fox Sports Florida. saying, "Hey, can we talk?" around one thirty today, and I said, yeah, sure, no problem, and uh, so, you know, one thirty rolls around and answer the phone, and I'm thinking the worst, obviously, and all right, you're going to let me down, let me down easy, and I'm trying to, you know, hide my disappointment because I'm not supposed to know what I think I know and everything else, and uh, he goes through a couple of the same questions that we talked about a few weeks ago, can you can you get out of your contract, you want to move to Florida the whole thing, yep, 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 I'm all good, let's just... Let's just get this over with so I can carry on with my life. (laughs) He says, uh, all right, well, uh, with all that said, um, we'd like to offer you the position. And I'm thinking to myself, like, every expletive in the book first. I'm like, wait, fail again? And he's like, uh, "Yeah, we'd, we'd like to offer you the position." And I was like, "Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely, Be crazy, yes, of course." And uh, and he's like, "All right, terrific." Now at this point, you know, it hadn't talked money or years or you know, I'd gotten like the absolute definite confirmation from the network that I could get out of my deal and everything else. I was certainly hopeful, but I didn't know like for sure. And, So he's like, all right, well, you want to know how much? I said, yes, all right, great, good. And he's like, all right, now, what about that contract thing? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, let me run upstairs. Let me talk to my bosses about this. So I go upstairs and, uh, and I talk
0: to the bosses and, and I and now I'm starting like get nervous thinking okay now I've 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 got a job and I just accepted a new one before actually talking to my boss It's like every bad thoughts going through my brain Good. walked in my boss's office and you know, I told him I was going to talk to him in the afternoon. And, uh, and I said, well, they, they just offered me the job. And I'm, like, excited. And
1: he, and he says, uh, well, what'd you tell him? And I said, and now I'm thinking, oh, my God, I should have said, hold on, let me talk to them. Oh, my Lord, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it at the goal line. And he says, what'd you say? And I said, I said, Yes. And he said, good, congratulations, he gave me a big hug, and, and it was really, it was really pretty cool, so, um, and then when I, so anyway, to circle back, I called Tass Gershon. I said, hey, Maddie, I got some news, he goes, yeah, he goes, I got the job. He goes, that's awesome, that's great. He goes, I knew it on Friday. I said, what? (laughs) He goes, yeah, when I called you, I knew that you were the guy, but I didn't want to be the one to tell you. So once I knew that you didn't know, I wasn't going to be the one to to ruin that moment for you. But he goes, I knew on Friday night that you were the guy. And I said, oh, my God. So... That was that was kind of the uh, that was kind of that, that moment and the tie in with the with the mentor that's kind of pulling for you. So that was uh, that was a special day. And then I, I got everything together and then I uh, went and hosted intentional talk. Probably told a few extra jokes that
0: day. So I was in a good mood uh that's an awesome story i mean he kind of made it seem like that you weren't the guy that got the job and then turn around a few days later he's like yeah i knew (laughs) yeah it was it was it was maddie that talked to me friday and then it was somebody else that had
1: called me on monday and and really kind of turned everything 180 on me and when i talked to that guy again and he goes wow i'm so glad that my source was wrong and i said yeah me too (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it
0: was, a, it was a wild, wild couple days. Second season with the Marlins. Um, the whole Miami Marlins image process right now with Jeter at the helm. They got rid of Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich. Just got rid of Real Mudo. He said in an interview, like, he's, like, the Marlins come out every day like they should to compete and contend. The word tanking always comes up. That's not, like, the goal. The goal is to play to win the game play to contend, play to compete. What's your uh, perspective on this? Like, do you believe it when Derek Jeter says these words, like, you play to compete every day? Like, obviously that's always been his mindset, but at the same time, you traded all of your all-star players and it seems like more worried about, like, the potential draft picks you might get, but at the same time you're still trying to compete to the greatest ability. Well, I I
1: will say this, and I mean this. Um, I I watched Derek Jeter play uh, for, what, 20 years? And I think that there was one game at Yankee Stadium that he played that did not have some sort of playoff implications. Like, this guy is a winner. And, and, you know, obviously he and and I kind of share something that knowing what we wanted to do from a young age, working hard and working against all odds to kind of achieve that. So I I know that when he sets his mind to something, it it gets done. I mean, I I certainly understand because I've heard it a lot that, you know, all the things that you just said with, with trading all these players and everything else. Truth of the matter, honestly, is that they weren't winning with those players. You know what I mean? Like, they had arguably the best outfield in 2017 um, with Ozuna and Ellich, and Stan. Best outfield in baseball. And I don't think they won 80 games. So, you have... Tremendous talent. It's not working out, and you have a ton of money locked up in Giancarlo stand that hamstrings your your budgets, and you have a depleted farm system with absolutely no reserves on the way. So circle back to Derek Jeter, when Derek Jeter was with the Yankees. I mean, we hear it all the time. The core four. You know, we throw Bernie Williams in the mix. There are five players that were kind of homegrown players that came through the system that were the cornerstones of that run. I mean, it's a run. I mean, we certainly talk about the patriots all the time and for good reason all the super bowl wins but when was the last time the yankees had a sub 500 season you know what i mean like you you've got to have that strength from within and i I truly do love and i loved it i'll tell you what because the trade happened like the weekend before i found out i got the job so i didn't have a horse in the race And I loved that move. It's something that needed to be done. Um, You need to have depth in the minor league system. That's just the way that the game is. And that's how you have sustained runs of success. I mean, the the Marlins have won two World Series championships. That's terrific. The Marlins have never lost a postseason series. That's terrific. They've been to two postseasons in... 25 years right. that's not that's not good enough and if you know it's certainly the players that have left have been very vocal about it I mean heck Stanton is recently as a few days ago is still kind of making comments about his time in Miami if you don't want to be there you know essentially make accommodations and make ourselves better you know I mean I, I totally understand that and you, you need when you're a franchise where the Marlins are at right now you need guys that are going to buy in you, any franchise, not just whether it's winning or losing, uh, you know, records. You're, you need players that are going to buy in, and if you don't have, and, and when they're key players at that high a level that are not buying in, then everybody suffers. So I absolutely love what the Marlins have done over these past two years, and, and the farm system went from bottom two or three to Baseball America's got them at thirteen. Now, I tr- understand fully that a great farm system does not win a World Series. I get it. But what you have is the basis, is the foundation for a sustained winner, a team that can be a competitive club every year, you know, and once you kind of get to a point where you're consistently winning, like, you, not that anything is a given, but if you know, okay, well, we're going to, we could probably. Roll out of bed, let's just say, and win eighty games this year. Okay, how how over the course of this year can we pick up another ten or twelve wins and get ourselves a division title, get ourselves into the wild card mix? You know what I mean? Like, and and that's that's where they've got to be on a consistent basis. That's where they want to be on a consistent basis. And I and I truly believe that that's where they will be once they. And and that's the other part of it too is that they are. See it now. I, I wasn't there under the previous
2: ownership group, but I've, I've certainly heard enough uh, before and, and since getting the job. There was a path, but that path always changed. Now there is a path, and they're sticking to that path. You know, they're not going to go out there and do foolish things
1: for tomorrow. They're going to do it for you know next week and next month and next year and the next ten years, and make sure that this thing can last and not just go all in. For a one or two year run, so that they can break it all down again and and spend another eight to ten years building it back up. Two thousand three was the last time they were in the postseason. You know, enough is enough. Whatever they were doing it didn't work. Trying something else, and they're sticking to a plan and they're trusting people, not just Derek Jeter, uh, who's certainly won World Series championships, but a lot of people that he's brought in in the front office that uh, that know a thing or two about winning as well. And and I and
0: I fully, fully trust the plan that they've got in place. Yeah, obviously, got a lot of good points there. If you don't want to be there, you shouldn't be there, for sure. But do you think the current players, I mean, you know them a lot better than I do, do you think the current players buy into the system, or do you think some of them are kind of just there? Because a lot of them, guys like Sterling Castro might not be there for when they, they win five, six years down the road. Do you think all these guys are buying in? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that any you
1: saw you mentioned Sterling Castro, you, you saw it early last Year, um, I mean, by the, but when he got traded, there were some maybe some negative comments. But by the time spring training rolled around, I didn't hear a peep, not a peep, not a, not a. attitude a day all year from day one of spring training nothing um you know and i I think that that's important you know i mean I, i think that uh that we've seen it with the cubs we've seen it with the astros all these teams that have kind of broken it down and built it back up again um you know there when there are those lean years many of the players that are there in the lean years are not the players that are there when the team wins again, that doesn't mean, is, see that's the thing, like if, if let's just say everybody says all oh, the odds makers or whatever say the Marlins are going to win 75 games this year, whatever, or 65, whatever the heck the number is, who cares? But does that mean that they're like they're not going to play the games? You know what I mean? Like, I see these players every day. Nobody's showing up to the ballpark at 6.30 and slapping on their uniform and just going out there at 7.10 for the first pitch. Like, they're there every day at 12, 1 o'clock. They're taking the batting practice, the extra batting practice, the extra ground balls. They're working. They're trying to win every single day. So, I mean, at this level, there is, I understand the notion of tanking But I do not believe for one second that the franchises and the teams and the players and the front office personnel that are in the midst of this building process, nobody's saying, man, I hope we lose today. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that if the Marlins had 97 wins at the end of September that they'd be like, jeez? This sucks. I, I wish we'd lost thirty more games so we can get the number one draft pick. You know what I mean? Like that—that just—it that just doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, I, I think that it's—it's uh, it's a fun little notion. It's a fun little narrative, but I, I, I've seen it that you know nobody checked out. The guys were taking batting practice on the last day of the year. Like, maybe not because it was a Sunday afternoon, but still. The point being, like, you know, they're—they're—they're they're, they're still into it until the final day, and and I think that that's just that whole competitive nature of wanting to win when there's an opportunity to win and you get with baseball every day you have a chance to win every day it doesn't matter if you've lost five in a row 10 in a row 12 in a row you have an opportunity to win today that's all you can control is today
0: and obviously this is probably an obvious outlook but they're obviously not the favorites um in the nl east you got the Phillies. I've heard, I've heard that right right. so but like obviously you just said the goal is to go out there and win every day and obviously would the mindset for all these players being like let's shock the world let's prove everybody wrong and try and like go into this year trying to win you know, like I said, that that's the, you, you, you don't focus on the whole season. You know, I mean, if, if they win or lose opening day against the Rockies, they're, they're not mathematically
1: eliminated. So it's not like they're going to pack up the bags and go home. So, you know, I think that uh, you look at last year, I understand where they were in the win-loss column. I get it. But if you take a look at the, the small victories along the way, they split uh, four games overall last year with the Yankees, who were, I think, a pretty good team last year. They took 4 out of 6 from the Dodgers, who were pretty good last year. They took 4 out of 6 from the Rockies last year, who were a pretty good team. So, you know what I mean? Like there's, And again, that's not to say that those, whatever it is, 12 games or 15 games, whatever it was, that, that made the whole season. I get it. It's a small sliver. But the point being is that any given day, any team can win. And I think that that's the mindset that they're going into the season with which is okay we're not going to win or lose a division on opening day but we can win on opening day and then that next day we can win today saturday we can win today may or may not happen that way but you kind of take every day uh as a new opportunity and i think that that's the mindset you have to have
0: given your broadcast expertise what is your favorite call thus far in your career oh man Um uh, I might have to go
1: off the board a little bit, and the the World Baseball Classic, I was fortunate enough uh, last time around to, in uh, 2017, uh, I, I went to Seoul, South Korea, called the first game of the tournament, I was with that whole bracket, and then um, I... I crossed over to the uh, so I think where to start it was Seoul and Tokyo and then it was like Panama City and Mexico City or something like that so then the Seoul group went to Tokyo so that's the second round was in Tokyo but I crossed over the bracket in the second round and I went to San Diego so I was with the, the two North American or Central American uh, whatever they were at the time I forget where the cities were uh, those you know teams that had moved on. So I went to San Diego and I did the world feed. And I did L.A. in the the finals, the world feed as well. So I did the entire tournament. And uh, oddly enough, Manny Machado in uh, San Diego was playing for the Dominican Republic. And the atmosphere that night, USA, Dominican Republic, was unbelievable. You know, I, I might have said like 26 words that night because I just laid out and just let all of the all the atmosphere kinda of take over. You know, I don't often do it but I took one of the ear ear muffs off and put it like behind my ears so I could actually hear with my own ears and feel the atmosphere in the ballpark. And Machado sent one to the gap in right center field and it was gone and out of nowhere adam jones comes up and makes his catch like his shoulder is at the top of the wall and and i absolutely lost it i mean it was an unbelievable moment it was an unbelievable game an unbelievable atmosphere um and and that was uh that was a fun night that was a fun uh experience that you know Three weeks or so. I know it was it was tough to be away from home for so long, but um, it was a, it was a fun experience, and uh, and that was that was that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, teammates at the time in Baltimore. I mean, you can't write that stuff up. Yeah, exactly. Grew up in Connecticut, Yankee fan, like you said. What's your favorite uh, baseball moment as a fan? You know, I. Uh... It's hard for me to not pick, and it'd be boring to anybody else, but it was special to me.
1: I uh, my my dad passed away when I was twenty, so that was two thousand three. But in nineteen ninety six, I was uh, I just turned thirteen years old, and I remember watching Game Six of the World Series. He lost the first two games of the World Series to the Braves, and. You know, at that point, you're hearing all these teams that are down two nothing, and that, you know, only one X Y a number of uh, World Series or whatever. This one's just about over. And they ended up coming back. They won all three games in in Atlanta, and then they had Game Six at Yankees Stadium. And, and I was in my room watching that game with my dad, and I, I will never forget it when Mark Lemke popped it up wide of third. The second time, because he popped it up, I believe it was the pitch right before, and right. went like a second throw into the seats. They popped it up to nearly the exact same spot, and, uh, the, and it fell into Charlie Hayes' glove, and Joe Buck said the Yankees are champions of baseball, and as everybody jumped on John Wetland and Joe Girardi at the mound, I remember I jumped up, straight up once, and then I jumped Back onto my dad, and it was a uh, that was a really fun, amazing moment, and uh, and it, it's it's something that I'll and I'll never forget. You know, I wasn't one of those. I was there for a perfect game. Or, you know, this guy, I met this guy, and he signed a ball and took a picture. It wasn't anything like that, but it was just that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, for me, that that's kind of what you you strive for as a broadcaster is being able to be there to document those moments that turn into those memories for the audience and um, and then just be kind of a soundtrack of history and you know that was uh, that was something that I'll never forget. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out. It's her frickin' birthday. Oh dude she's definitely gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with you.